Welcome to devmo.fm, a podcast dedicated to the tools, techniques, and technologies used in modern web development. I'm Andrew Welch from NY Studio 107. I'm Patrick Harrington from Mildly Geeky in Boston. I'm Jonathan Melville from MDD in Atlanta. I'm Matt Stein from Working Concept in Austin. I'm Marion Nulevant out of Portland, Oregon. I'm Lindsay DiLoretto with Double Secret Agency in Los Angeles, California. And we are here today live at our studios in Montreal, Quebec, Canada, performing in front of a live studio audience consisting of one very dapperly dressed Austrian. (laughs) (laughs) And so we're here today to talk about .all 2019, which just happened, and there were a whole bunch of drama bombs that were dropped at this conference. And we're kind of just going to go around roundtable and talk about some of the stuff that was announced and what we thought about it. So, I mean, why don't we start with probably the most unexpected announcement, maybe, Mm. um, of Craft Cloud. So craft.cloud is actually a website. You can actually go to it right now. It's a thing up there. And so what it is, is essentially Craft CMS. They're moving it to compete, or they're positioning it, I should say, to compete with the likes of Contentful, where... If all you actually want is an API to manage your data, you don't want any DevOps and you're doing the Jamstacky thing on the front end, that's what Craft Cloud is. That's for you. Like uh, it competes with like what? Like Contentful and Datto and Prismatic or something like that, right? Sanity. Yeah, all those kind of things. So, I mean, Patrick, we'll let you go first. Like, what do you think about the whole Craft Cloud? Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. If you told me going in that we'd hear about Craft 4 with a boatload of authoring experience enhancements and just sea change type updates and that it would actually be very far behind as the most talked about update to the craft ecosystem, I would have been really surprised. There have been some some rumors here and there, but no one, I think, quite saw this coming. It, it looks really exciting. I don't know if anyone heard, but GraphQL and Headless are kind of a big thing now. And we'll talk more about that later. Yeah, I, I think it's a really smart move. There are a lot of people that don't want to have to put up with hosting and DevOps and all that. They just need to get their content somewhere. Yeah, we'll talk more about how everything's just turning into an API these days. And I, I think it's going to put Pix and Tonic in a great place for a lot of clients that may otherwise be reticent to get into a PHP app and running a LAMP server and all that. And they just want something's going to be stable and and hosted for them. All right. And and Lindsay, what what were your reactions to this, right? You came into this and you've been doing craft websites for forever. And then they dropped this whole craft cloud thing. Like, what are your thoughts? I mean, I thought it was pretty fascinating. You know, I haven't done a whole lot so far with GraphQL API, but they really, they just, they kind of opened all the doors for it. So now, obviously, as of about a month ago, GraphQL is native to craft, but that was scratching the surface of what their long-term plans are. I mean, when you have Craft Cloud and, you know, head, there's a headless mode, which I still don't know much about, but they are really moving in this direction wholeheartedly. And far and away, that was the biggest takeaway of the conference. You basically had Craft as a headless CMS, GraphQL being a major part of that. And then the rest of the conference was largely about Jamstack, which is how to then now handle this data on the front end using, you know, Vue, for example. As you said a minute ago, Andrew, the fact that Craft 4 was mentioned, to applause, of course, was kind of a footnote. It kind of came and went over the course of the conference. And But everything else that was talked about was Headless, Jamstack, Craft Cloud. I mean, these were major points. Uh, I would say the whole conference was about that. 
Yeah, I mean, if I could add something to that, it would be that I, obviously the whole headless CMS thing is a direction that they're going. I don't think it's the only direction. I think that if you're interested in continuing to do things the way that you always have with Craft CMS, I think it makes complete sense. I mean, Matt Weinberg went up there and gave a talk. He uh, is the uh, the head honcho over at Happycock. And he said, you know, I want to make it clear that we, we do Jamstack sites, but the majority of the stuff that we do are traditional LAMP setups. And so don't, if you're listening to this, at home, you know, don't take this as, oh my God, they're throwing the baby out with the bathwater because that's not the case. And I think in terms of what was at the conference, yes, the majority of it was headless focused. And I think that was for a reason because they wanted to start educating people on it. But in terms of what people are actually anticipating. I think some of the features that are in Craft 4 had people even more excited. Like I was live tweeting it and the tweet that got the most likes was the one where it talked about having conditional fields yeah. and element views and all that kind of fun stuff. And incidentally, they have to make Craft 4 amazing from a content authoring perspective because it's going to be in Craft Cloud and there aren't going to be any plugins. And what do you, do you have any opinions on that, Matt? That was one thing that I was actually kind of uncomfortable with at first was the thought of building a craft site without plugins. But then when I thought about craft in the context of any, a lot of the other, you know, SaaS CMS options that I've looked at, the things that made it compelling years ago, years ago with matrix and, and, uh, you know, native support for translation and all kinds of things, I think will still make it a, a compelling product right now. I agree. I'm hoping that they'll loosen their stance on plugins and include craft commerce. I think that would be really awesome. But I understand why they don't want to just have random third-party software showing up. I think that it's not going to be a thing where they're going to introduce craft cloud and then maybe later on they'll allow plugins the way that we think of them because the underlying architecture would have to be radically different to have one monolithic craft service versus a as many craft services as you would possibly want, each one individualized. But it, it, that said, Jonathan, what do you think about Craft Cloud and about Craft 4 and just, you know, kind of anything that you saw there? Yeah, this did sort of feel almost like the Jamstack conference. And But what I think is great about it is, I was having a conversation with someone about this earlier, we're not probably at a point right now where Jamstack works for the vast majority of the jobs that we're going to get tomorrow or next month or two months from now. But Pixel and Tonic isn't waiting for that moment to arrive because it's pretty clear where things are going. And so I think for all of us who love craft because of its content authoring experience, this is a great a great thing because we're going to continue to have our favorite tool available to us when that point finally does come where it is viable to do you know the majority of our production uh, sites uh, on the Jamstack. We're still going to have craft there for us. And so I think it's great. I mean, I, I would argue that it probably is viable to do Jamstack stuff now, but it may not always be the best Mm-hmm. solution for a lot of the sites. And it may never be the best solution for all the sites that we're doing. And I, I, I mean, maybe I'm saying this too much, but I want to make sure for people that are listening that they haven't announced that they're stopping <laughs> the way that they're doing things now. Yeah. You want to keep making, you know, craft sites the way you have with Twig, et cetera. That's going to be a viable option, I think, indefinitely. Yeah, I think I think that's right. I think that for, for just about everybody, the way you build sites 
isn't going to change unless you want it to. You can right. still build right. the same awesome craft sites that you built a month ago or a year ago. You still have the same options. Everything that's being discussed, everything that was mentioned this this uh, yeah. conference was was new. Was it was an addition? It was an addition. So now you can additionally do GraphQL calls. You can additionally do headless mode, and uh, you know it really just opens up a lot of horizons. I, I don't know what the percentage of people is going to be who capitalize on the Jamstack stuff right away, but and Andrew, your talk was about Lampstack versus Jamstack, and it didn't take an approach of one is better than the other. You kind of pointed out, you know, the advantages of Lamp, the advantages of a Jamstack, and I think that the takeaway is do what makes the most sense for your project. Don't feel like Jamstack's the hot new thing. I got to do it. And then Francesca's talk was interesting too because she took the approach of ease into it. That's one thing that's great about Vue. It's great about using GraphQL in this context is that you can sort of walk slowly into building a jammier stack than the Lamp stack that you're familiar familiar with. I think that's one thing I'm kind of realizing is that people I, I identify as kind of an internet dinosaur. Like I've been building sites, thinking server side for a long time, and I'm reaching toward trying to embrace the Jamstack, but I've been working with Craft for a while. And I think a lot of us are in this boat where we're looking toward how things will be made. And Craft is kind of with us in, in both directions. So we kind of have a unique opportunity of being people that are familiar with craft to kind of gently transition or even try building things a different way and still have photos of Brad Bell to, to help us the whole the whole way through. So I don't know if anybody else feels this way, but I one of the things that I love most about craft is actually the experience that it gives to the content authors, maybe even more than I care about Twig as mm-hmm. as a developer. And so I think that that's, that's another good, uh, a piece of good news. No matter how you decide to build your sites going forward, you're still going to have that, that great experience that you can sell your client on. Yeah, I mean, a hallmark of craft has always been, at least in my opinion, a great content authoring experience, but then also a blank front end. In other words, build it your way, build it however you want it, and very customizable. And now they are just casting a wider net in terms of who can use this tool and how they can use it. I mean, that's the way that I view this move is not a, a shift in what they're going to do, but they're casting a wider net and they're they're looking at the landscape and they're saying, oh, you know, this is actually a thing. We should cater to this thing. I think of Andrew was talking about why you call headless servers, headless servers. But um, if you... Oh. You call headless servers headless servers because you used to have this server, a giant box with a giant CRT sitting on top so you could interact with the thing. And if you took the CRT away and put it somewhere else, then you had a headless server. So if you- monitor was the head, right? Of course, the monitor is the head. It's the, it's the bit you look at. And so for Craft, all the improvements that we're talking about in Craft 4 are kind of improvements in the body. And the head is, you know, it's not that we're getting rid of it. It's that it's just not changing much. You know, it's not like we're going to some new improved twig or that the twig parser is going to be 90% faster or anything like that. And I maybe I'm another dinosaur and I just, I just can't think of what you might want to do with craft to improve the head. So it seems like it was it's pretty much the same experience writing Twig and having that stuff all work that it was back in Craft One. And so, you know, that's not the direction of improvement. Yeah, that makes sense. And I think we should also 
the reason we're spending so much time on this and the reason I think there were so many sessions on this is it is like this new big change for everyone to kind of get into their heads about what's going on. But I honestly think like uh, the in terms of substantive features for content authors, some of the stuff they announced in Craft 4 sounds amazing. And I, I don't know about everyone else, but I have dabbled in some of these headless CMSs like Contentful and Datto and Prismat, you know, just played around with them. And the content authoring honestly isn't that great, you know? So I, I think it's pretty fantastic. And the other really cool thing from my perspective is that the hosted Craft CMS, like the thing that you install right now is going for Craft 4 is going to be the exact same thing that powers Craft Cloud. Like it's literally going to be the same thing. It's not going to be a fork, right? So any benefits that they need or want to provide from a content authoring perspective in Craft Cloud are going to be part of Craft 4 from a hosted CMS point of view. And some of those sounded awesome. Like Patrick, what, what were some of the Craft 4 features that you thought sounded really cool? Yeah, I'm pretty excited for... They're looking at doing element index views. So rather than every entry, every commerce product, whatever it might be in the back end being viewed in a table in the back end with a you know a few sorting options, you'll get different ways of showing content either in a I think a board view, there was a like a gallery view, you'll be able to set up different yeah, a calendar view, different ways of looking at your content as a content editor as to what makes sense given this content, how you think about it. Yeah, like if you're if you're used to the Mac, you've got a finder window mm-hmm. and you can view it as a list, as a column, as a cover flow view, you know, all those kinds of things. But what I also took from it, and I, I could be wrong, was that you'll also be able to define it's user defined. It's not that someone goes in and says, OK, everyone's going to look at job postings this way and look at pages this way. A user can go in and say, I would like to get job listings that are coming up in the next month and I'd like a view for those. And I would like doing more around filtering and, and choosing what and what you need to see and what's helpful for you as a content author. It's just a nice user-centric approach to viewing content, a little similar to like Drupal and what they have with the views module in the back end. And I think the other thing to mention about that is that it will have the Masuga feature, right? (laughs) Right. I think it's called that. (laughs) Right. From the point of view that you will be able to um, add filters to what you're seeing, like, you know, if you want a table listing that has everything where the the title has this and the data is between this range, and there'll be like a, a builder that you can add for that particular view. And then you can also save those as presets, or at least that's what they're mentioning that they're planning to do, which doesn't make a difference for some sites, but for other sites where they have tons and tons of entries, like it's it makes a massive Massive difference. Does anyone have anything else that they saw in Craft 4 in terms of the features they're talking about that they're interested in? I get to stop supporting the Snitch program uh, <laughs> plug-in. <laughs> I'm, I, am, I am delighted that the, they're going to have Tell a... F- snitch program is the one that lets you know when somebody else... Attempts to let you know when somebody else might be editing the same thing, the entry that you're editing. And they're going to do it right and they're going to do it inside of Craft. So I was... I'm that's a, that was the thing I'm most delighted about. Also, let's see conditional fields and conditional fields for sure. I think conditional fields was one of the ones that caught my attention. Obviously, um, matrices within matrix. nested matrix sounds amazing. So tell people what conditional fields might. Look. Well, conditional fields, you know, I mean, there's been a conditional fields. There was a conditional fields plugin for two. There very recently was ported one for Craft three by uh, Matt McCall. Matt McCall. So okay, so let's say you're you're editing an entry and you're like, okay, well I have this radio radio buttons 
But and then there's other fields that matter, but only if they choose one of these radio buttons. So right there in the CP, you know, they choose yes versus no, and other fields will be shown or hidden. Obviously, that's a rudimentary example. You could probably do it with more than radio buttons. But yeah, that's the that's the premise behind conditional fields, and it's it's something that's been in really high demand. When when Matt's did it for Craft Two, it was really popular, free plugin, and when it when Craft 3 rolled around, there was a lot of demand to port it. He was reluctant to do so for reasons that I actually make sense to me. But what were those reasons? <laughs> reasons are you, you're supporting it now, right? So you put a plugin out in the world, especially a free plugin, and now you have to support that with no financial income. I don't know. You know, I, I'm sure he has a job that he has to worry about or clients. Being in the plugin market has never seemed like his interest, but he put something awesome into the world with the first plugin. And uh, it's good that Craft is now finally bringing conditional fields to the core. It's it's long overdue. It's very much appreciated. I think it'll make a lot of people happy. And I may be wrong on this, but I think another reason why Matt's didn't want to do it is that Pixel and Tonic had been saying for a while that, hey, we're going to do this. Hey, we're going to do this. And it was one of those things where like, why is he going to expend all the effort to do it if he knows that it's on their list to do? Now, they ended up having different priorities in terms of what they're going to work on. So it's it's not in there yet. But I think that might have been a reason as well. But what is this matrix in a matrix thing, Matt? Like, what are they, what kind of craziness are they doing here? The problem is that you've asked me this question because I don't save myself from myself often. <laughs> and I'm, I'm concerned about the things that I could get myself into. But yeah, the idea that you are no longer limited to a more, I guess, flat matrix hierarchy, but like Neo and like yeah. that super table, maybe you can put things in other things to an uncomfortable degree of, of <laughs> rec- recursion. I think the way they're doing it is really interesting. And I'm glad that, that Brandon talked about uh, field instances and his Explain talk. Explain that. Explain that. Oh, man. All right. Well, the, well I tried to take the mic from me. You wouldn't give it up. Oh, I so thought you were telling me to hold it differently. I think no. I think you should. No, it's all you. Right, <laughs> right now, fields fields exist uh, in a natural form. <laughs> Free range fields. That's out right. In the wild. They're just out there, and, and you add them to a field layout, and they they do their thing. Um, and that's challenging for reasons. <laughs> Lindsay, Lindsay, help me out. Let a professional I'll, handle this. I'll take a stab at this. I'm not saying I'm going to nail it, but I'll take a stab at this. So the way you manage fields right now is you go, you create the field. And then you go to the section and you arrange the fields in your section in the tabs by dragging and dropping a whole bunch of these. I know, Patrick, I know you've got opinions. Oh, <laughs> Lots of opinions. Mobile drag and drop. Mobile drag and drop. Yeah. Side, drag and drop still a thing. Side note, mobile drag and drop is coming to the control panel in Craft 4 apparently. But as far as arranging fields go, you can now, will now be able to have field instances. So you can actually, my understanding having not physically seen it myself, is that you'll be able to kind of like preset maybe a tab or even a group of tabs and then be able to drag that whole group onto your section. So if you have two sections with nearly identical tab sets, it becomes much easier to replicate these between the two. And if we could just edit out that part or add a commercial where I was talking before. No. (laughs) (laughs) It's staying in. So I know that, Patrick, you've got a good amount of experience in Drupal and... 
well, back in your code kit days, you used to play with Drupal quite a bit. It's my understanding. And they have something kind of similar, right? They've got a concept of field instances. And I think Brandon mentioned that that is what is enabling them to do this, right? So the issue was that you can't have fields in the matrix because then they might conflict with the other fields that you have globally defined. But if they do this concept of field instances where you define a field and then you can have an instance that it can have different settings and it exists in different places, then that problem goes away. And you're good to go. How do instances work in Drupal? So it's been a while. My latest experience with Drupal was Drupal 7. And even then, that was a few years ago. It, it, Craft, in some ways, has been doing things after Drupal. I remember once talking to Brandon about elements. And he said, oh, we were once point, even toying with calling them entities, which is actually what Drupal calls <laughs> a thing in it. And then a node in Drupal is just one form of an entity. Entity sounds so it's really, yeah, it's really so medical. It's yes. yeah, odd, yeah. Uh, and they've had field instances. So you can think that instead of just saying, and I've done this on many craft sites where I end up having 10 different date fields in the back end because I have a slightly different labeling requirement or I just need to put more than one date on, a, on an element. And I end up having multiple date fields because I can only use each field once on an element. Now you're going to be able to say, I need an instance of this date field here with these settings. And I need it again again, on this element here with these settings. And I think then matrix within matrix becomes you don't have to worry about having multiple layers because instances can just keep on going down a hierarchy of this instance can have a sub instance. So might field instances try to solve a problem that like a plugin like Neo has been trying to solve? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Except, uh, you know, in a way that's core friendly and, uh, you know, it's, it's interesting too that I'm very interested with craft cloud, the fact that it's going to have auto updates. It's, I think they're going to have to be very careful about stability and what happens when they're making any sort of changes that affect content modeling, because how are you going to roll from like, are we going to have to namespace your API calls when you do a GraphQL call for, you know, V3 versus V4? And that'll be very interesting how they do that. But I feel like they're going to have to get a lot of stuff in there for the long haul and think long and hard before any sort of content modeling changes that are going to be there for a long time, which they've done to date. Yeah, I mean, if you run a migration for 50,000 sites that are hosted and something goes wrong, (laughs) you're in for a world of hurt and a big AWS bill. I've completely forgotten what I was going to say when I gestured for the microphone there. Not editing. No, I know. (laughs) Let's just talk about something you saw with Craft 4 that you thought was interesting. Uh, something I saw with Craft Four. Well, the accessibility. accessibility it was keyboard a control. it was the thing that they mentioned. Yeah, keyboard control. I'm don't personally looking forward to building craft sites on a mobile phone, but uh, yeah, who would do that? <laughs> no, I had a bad, I had a deployment, and all I needed to do was add a, a field. <laughs> what are you doing designing websites on a mobile phone, Patrick? Can you explain yourself, please? We'll do it now. Hurry up. No, I need the mic. Oh, okay. <laughs> for anyone at, at home we have like basically a microphone version of the conch and we pass the conch <laughs> to whoever <laughs> yeah no there was a deployment this was pre-project config and a deployment happened a field didn't make it into production and so the client I, i'm in the middle of the mall and all i need to do is turn on this one field and add it to the content layout and so i open up my iphone i'm like i can do this in two seconds linux i know this and i i go to the and I, i'm I can't drag. I can't drag. So I'm very excited about mobile drag and drop, finally. For that one instance in the mall, you're excited about it. Well, yeah, yeah and I, I like to work on my iPad Pro, and so it, it'll be nice. It's just, 
anything towards accessibility helps everyone, not just those that really need it for doing things like that. So I'm all I'm all for accessibility. I'm just not sure if I want you dragging stuff while you're in the mall. And, but anyway, <laughs> the pretzels are only good for a limited amount of time. <laughs> All right. So what what other features did we see in Craft 4 that we might want to let some people at home know about? One of the things that I liked, and it's it's a subtle thing, it's a nuance, but um, you know how in like the element uh, index view, so you're looking at your entries and if you add too many columns, it sort of collapses into this like text only view and it looks like garbage. You know, I appreciate that it's possible because uh, like you got to have something, right? But what they're going to do, I was really excited about this. What they're going to do is make it a little bit smarter so that maybe certain columns would disappear and you actually don't lose your view entirely. Because I, I think the thing to circle back on what you were saying earlier is that you're now getting these different views. If you if you've ever messed with this in an entries index where all of your sections are listed on the side, all of your structures and channels, and it literally just says singles, those are called sources. And there are certain events that you can hook into in Craft 3 right now, literally right now, you can go and you can adjust your sources. You can get rid of the all entries, which is something I tend to do because how often do I want to see all of them at the same time? You can add new ones and you can add new ones based on disabled or other fields. You can you can add your own sources and that's possible right now. But what they're doing is they're ultimately doing away with the sources concept and they're replacing it with, what did you call, what was it called? Like a views Element index views. Element index views. And that's when you can get your, he was saying there's like a Kanban view and a calendar view. I mean, it's really going to, we're going to have to stop thinking about the element index as being the straightforward, boring page that it is, because it's really going to open up some new options for us. And it makes sense. So if, we have a content management system. It makes sense to allow the user to manage their content and also, <laughs> oh my God, I'm losing it. And also, <laughs> Matt is just making notes that are indiscreet. Obscene. Obscene. <laughs> Obscene notes. But you really, you want to have different. Thank God we're not a video podcast. That's all I can say. <laughs> Jackie Treehorn. It's yeah, it's Jackie you know. Treehorn. <laughs> no, American Vandal or something like that, right? Wasn't there some show that was about yeah. that where they're investigating it? Anyway, anyway you got yeah. if you really want to develop the content management system and you know, let people have different views for their data, and that actually lets you customize the CMS to a particular client even more, like rather than just like a column view of stuff, depending on what the data is, what is in the channel, et cetera, et cetera, you may want a, a radically different view. And incidentally, that then potentially opens it up to third-party views, not for Craft Cloud, probably, originally, but for hosted Craft, I'm sure there are going to be hooks in there that if you want to add like an elephant view or whatever you want for your data, like you would be able to do that. But let me, uh, Lindsay, you're a prolific plugin developer. How do you feel about the fact that Craft Cloud not craft hosted craft, but craft cloud is not going to have any plugins available for it. There's a, a plus side, which means you don't have to update your plugin for craft cloud, but you still are going to have to do that for craft four anyway. What are your thoughts? Well, my initial takeaway is that I'm deeply offended that they would not <laughs> include plugins in craft. No, I, I actually, I think it makes perfect sense. You know, you, you need to have a little bit of a, of a walled garden. You need to have a little bit of a closed environment. When you're, when you're introducing something like craft cloud, it's going to be so novel. And so, you know, it, it needs to have very specific dependencies. And if you start throwing random plugins in there or give the people the option to add plugins or add modules, I mean, like it could get chaotic. 
really quick. So um, not having plugins, it makes sense. It makes sense on paper, obviously, like, sure, I want people to buy my plugins, but no, I get it. I get it. And and uh, to Marion's point earlier, if they eventually released a version of Craft Cloud that at least bundled commerce, mm-hmm. so you can maybe have a Craft Cloud commerce, and this is speculation, they didn't say this, but I could see something like that happening down the line that you get a year or two into it and they figure out a way to add plugins or at least add commerce. Um, I really think that there's a lot of potential there. So I'm curious if this is going to be a situation like we saw when the iPhone first came out. You know, no third-party apps, right? Uh, Because that's just too chaotic when you're rolling out a new product to to allow third-party code to get in there uh, when you haven't really thought about what that process is going to look like and how you're going to manage it. I wonder if this is a no for now or if it's a no forever. So I can actually speak to that because we had a couple of iPhone apps that shipped, I think, either with the initial iPhone or very shortly after that, but before it was opened up, in general. And Apple actually like, you know, hand approved it and then eventually opened it up to anybody being able to do kind of whatever they want with it. I mean, what I was mentioning before is just that it's it's a radically different architecture to have a single craft thing versus many craft things that you can kind of customize and, and, and do whatever you want with, you know? So I'm hoping somebody can enlighten me, but I'm picturing as craft cloud as being basically a multi-site craft install with about 50,000 sites? I'm thinking it's probably not going to be architected quite like that. I mean, I think it's going to be more, might be more similar to uh, a Lambda function or Laravel Vapor in terms of, you know, just, it's just a service, right? You log into your account, you can edit all of your your site and everything, but the database is, is totally separate and somewhere else you have no templates. There's no templates anymore. So really, it's just a management system that you've got to log in to access your data and you can generate API keys. So it's like the spin it up craft demo system that they already have. Yeah. I mean, I think it might be kind of like that. It might be kind of similar to that. Yeah. You want to say something? No? You? I think there still seems like there would be a natural tension, though, when somebody, and I don't want to mention any specific plugins, but when somebody goes to add, say, a map or more complex uh, SEO information or some or a video or something. Why are you so hurtful? <laughs> I'm just saying pe- the people want these things. Right. Right. And we will have them, but just from a different place, right? We get to go to NPM now. Right. No, I mean, that is true. So if you have adopted the jam stacky model, and again, look, you don't have to adopt this model, right? If you don't, if you don't want to do your site this way, then don't. Like keep doing it the way you were, install as many plugins as you want. You don't worry about it. But if you want to adopt the Jamstacky way, understand that people have been making tons of websites for a long time using this model, a long time in tech years. So it's like three or four years, right? But there are packages for doing SEO for React, for instance. There's Helmet. For Vue, there's Meta, And then Nuxt, Next, Gatsby, and Gridsome all have layers on top of that that help in terms of building all that kind of stuff. But this might backfire as poorly as my uh, explanation of field instances, but I'm talking about on the authoring end, though. Like, right. say you're, you're a content editor and you want to add a, a map, for example. Jonathan, specifically, I'd like you to answer how NPM would help you with that. So the way that I think that they're probably going to end up doing it is I think that... Jonathan, specifically. He's throwing his voice. <laughs> Jonathan, your voice has changed. It's my best Andrew impression. All right, Jonathan, how would you do it? I have no idea, Andrew. How would you do it? <laughs> really? <laughs> For real? All right. 
I think that the initial version they'll ship with no plugins at all, but I think eventually they will allow JavaScripty <laughs> they'll allow <laughs> JavaScripty plugins to be installed there. Like Contentful has this, they have plugins, quote unquote plugins, and they do have like a map field as a plugin. So anything you can do with JavaScript to hook in, you can do. It's not going to be like craft CMS plugins where you can literally just do anything you want. But I think they will eventually be building out something like that. Will you be able to then sell those things? I doubt it. I mean, maybe, but I think they might not be heavy enough that they would actually be something that would be for sale. Look, I mean, I think the thing to keep in mind in terms of Craft Cloud and the fact that there's no plugins on day one, Craft is one of the most flexible CMSs that we have ever dealt with. And more than one person has written an article, one of them happens to be in the room here, about how to use Craft without plugins. Literally, do the thing you want to do using native Craft fields and not rely on a plugin and still get a pretty satisfactory outcome. Even a map, you can do a lot with the native fields if you kind of, you know, you do twist to the ways you need to, but it's it's far easier to do that twisting with craft than it is with some of these other CMSs. And I think that is going to be the point that you're going to need to come back to with craft cloud. Well, I think we should address the elephant in the room, which is that Matt is obviously making very mean spirited comments targeted at yourself, Lindsay, with maps and, and me with SEO. So I think we, we need to just call that out right now. Let's just take them outside. Yeah. How do you how do you feel about <laughs> we are we are on the sixth we are on the sixth floor. <laughs> I haven't tested how openable the windows and doors are, but I was saying that the I, I was celebrating your your already celebrated work. That wasn't that wasn't meant to be mean. I think that's you interpreting it that way. Oh, okay, because I mean, all I heard was ha ha ha. You won't make any money anymore. Maybe we should move on and talk about some of the other things that happened at Dotto. <laughs> One of the things that struck me was how very much drinking there was. <laughs> I also enjoyed that. <laughs> I haven't seen any drinking the whole weekend. <laughs> there are beer cans littering the table in front of me. <laughs> like, I don't even know what you're talking about. Uh, for the record, last night, Jonathan was drinking out of a crystal skull, yeah. <laughs> which may have killed him if he finished it, but we didn't let him. So, so you're actually making a good point accidentally. Which is that, you know, a lot of the, the tech stuff that we're covering right now, you're going to be able to read that on a blog somewhere. And sure, you're getting our take on it. But a big reason to come here is to is for the people that are here, right? So you, so you can insult someone to their face. Like, like we just did, right? <laughs> but, but no, for real, like uh, it's for anyone who hasn't been to a dot all before. Um, it's a great conference with a really good group of people. And I've always found myself personally, and it's different for everybody, but for myself personally, the value that I find in coming to these conferences, the sessions are great. I love the work that the speakers put in, but really the value I find is in the time after that I spend talking with people just, you know, at a bar or at dinner or, or whatever. Does anyone else kind of run into that? And Patrick, we know you're like a social butterfly. <laughs> oh gosh, do we ever. Yeah, we have this Airbnb and only one key and I've had to have people let me in in the middle of the night. But yeah, no, I mean, I, I get so much just talking to other thought leaders and people who are at a level where I want to be someday or getting to talk to people who are just kind of coming up and, and getting to know them. I do wish and, you know, it's been announced that next year is going to be in Amsterdam. I do wish there was a uh, 
like an official hotel, maybe even if it had a group rate. It is a little bit funny this year how everyone's kind of spread out. We were in an Airbnb. Other folks are as well. And surely some people just make that decision anyway. But I was like uh, at other conferences when you have that almost dorm aspect of everyone at the one hotel and getting together. Right now, there's a lot of logistics trying to get together after uh, when the night is wrapping up. I was at the hostel, which was an entire block away. I was surprised nobody else was there. I'm not oh, from from dot all. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not surprised. Right. I think it's a fair point. I think it's a fair point. You know, it's not it's not just about the technology. It's not just about the talks. It's also about the people. I mean, this is the community. Like these are the people you see them on Discord. You hear them on Dev Mode. Like these are the people you got to meet them in person. You get to shake their hands. You get to talk the talk that we talk in real life. You know, you get a lot of um, speculation and rumors and the, the real tangible stuff. And I don't, I don't know, you know, who you guys hang out with when you're in your normal element. Um, and I don't know if there are any craft meetups in like Antarctica, but it's it's unique for me to be at a bar with people. I was, I was at the bar getting a, a drink and just describing where the people immediately around me were from. And it sound, it made me sound really cool. But really, I was meeting new people and having a great time. And so many people come from so many places to be here. It's a unique opportunity just to have something in common, but have meet, meet totally different people at the same time. And the social aspects are wonderful, but also let's talk about forged partnerships. I mean, there are, are many people, just including the guy that's sitting right next to me, that I have forged partnerships based on attending some of these conferences. Like Jonathan and I started working together. We're like, all right, yeah, let's meet up, let's talk. And it just kind of went from there. And I, and I think, again, not to not to undersell the value of the actual event and the venue and the speakers and all that, because it, it is fantastic. But at least for me personally, like that, the after party like is the party for me. You know what I mean? Yeah, I would agree with that 100%. I mean, you definitely do come for the talks and the talks have been amazing this year and you always kind of return home energized to learn something new and and sort of experiment with the uh, amazing ideas that you've been exposed to. But uh, really for me, uh, maybe even more than half of the experience of coming to these conferences is meeting people. Uh, you just never know, like in the future, somebody that you've met or interacted with, you know, you may be able to partner with them on something or they may be able to help you with something or, or something you can't even imagine. And so I think uh, the friendships that you forge at, uh, at coming to, to a conference like Dot All is is, um, is a, one of the top reasons uh, that, I, that I try to come every year. And you also get to find out things like, who knew that Ryan Ireland had a briefcase that had... <laughs> Multiple currencies in it and <laughs> ready to go at passports and documents. And yeah. yeah, I mean, who knew, right? And a, and a mask, a rubber mask. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. Like Mission Impossible. Stuff. All right. All right. So let, let's bring it back to some of the presentations, though. So everyone was there. I did, uh, I did a talk and a panel. You folks saw pretty much all of the presentations that went on there. Does anyone have a talk that they want to mention that they enjoyed and, and what you got out of it? I thought the one on testing was fabulous. Mm. Um, Yule, right? Yeah. Yule. Yeah, he, he was, he's great. Do you know how old Yule is? Yes, I do. Right, don't mention it. Younger than I am. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> right, to, to narrow it down. Yeah, um, yeah. I, I, and... 
you know what, maybe it's all going to be the next the next year where it's going to be the uh, Headless and the View conference, but it also might just be the testing conference. We'll see. Yeah, I thought, yeah, Agil's uh, testing one was fantastic. You know, I also really like Matt Gray's Docker breakdown. The Docker breakdown was fantastic because it really broke it down on a technical level where you could see how Docker worked, um, the virtualization. I mean, he was really getting like down to the nitty gritty with like Linux kernel and uh, process IDs, but he was doing it in a digestible way. Yeah, it was, yeah. it was very, it was, ve- it was very understandable. And, and honestly, up to this point, I've had a lot of fear about Doctor, uh, Doc, Doctor, Docker. I'm scared, I'm, I'm scared of, I'm scared of doctors. You're all finding out right now. It's, okay. it's that I'm, whale. I was scared of Docker because it just was this nebulous thing that I didn't understand how it worked. And so to see it, to see these diagrams of how the processes were, were scoping themselves, like it, it actually, a lot of things clicked and I'm now much less afraid of it than I was. I got to I got to get something in here real quick. So this episode is published on a special schedule, but the next episode that comes out, we did an interview with Matt Gray in depth on served and that kind of thing that he's doing and as well as Docker. So I just wanted to mention that here. If you like what we're talking about in terms of Docker, we got that coming up. So whenever I come to a dot all, there's always like a two tracks or whatever, and usually like a tech heavy track and then another one that's maybe biz biz dev or something like that. So I always try to attend at least one that's not like a tech centric uh, talk. And so this year I went to Imposter Syndrome in the Creative Industry by Jay Colette. Jay, I hope that that's how you say your name. I think that's probably right. And I think that this is something that's just so pervasive. And he showed all kind of statistics that uh, that showed that that's absolutely true. And so for anybody that doesn't is familiar with the concept of Imposter Syndrome, it's, it's this idea that you know, no matter how much success you may have achieved or no matter how many accomplishments you may have racked up that like you're really this fraud and eventually one day you're going to be found out and people are going to realize that you're not, you know, as great as you appear to be. And so this is this is really pervasive across a lot of industries, but maybe no more so than in the tech and creative industry. And uh, it was just a great reminder that celebrate your successes and like, you know, accept that everybody sort of feels that way sometimes. And you don't want to let it get to a point where it turns into something more serious, where you start doubting your own abilities or even worse, it becomes like a depression or something. You know, he did a really good job of that talk. And Matt, I know that you don't suffer from imposter syndrome, but you do suffer from sycophant syndrome. But what, what was your favorite talk that you had there? Oh, I mean, hearing uh, Marion explain debugging uh, was was probably my my favorite moment but yeah absolutely yeah that was i just was tickled where were you tickled (laughs) (laughs) in my heart (laughs) that's right in my heart Um, cockles of your heart it warmed the cockles of your heart (laughs) i i actually being um pretty bad and partially disinterested in Twitter. I didn't really know anything about Henri and I was kind of refreshed and energized. By, I had no idea where he was going, but I was just happy to be along for what he was painting. And because of him, I, I even went uh, just pretty soon after to Twitter myself because I need to know what he's saying normally. Because oh, I, uh, I just, I loved it. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I did that. Yeah, exactly. Yep. He made me want to go on That's Twitter. Right. Yep. And, and follow him. Con- Congratulations on this momentous step in your <laughs> digital career. You have followed someone. That is, Things will never be the same. That's, that's, that's amazing. No, I agree. I think, I think Henri 
or as I call him, Henry. <laughs> Helvetica did an amazing job. Now, his name really is Henri. Yeah. <laughs> but I've, I called him Henry for like many days. Um, he, did, he did an amazing talk, and I agree with you. It was one of those things where you're like, I have no idea where we're going, but I'm going to have fun getting there. Let's do it. You know, and uh, that that was for me. That was a really fun talk. I mean, Patrick, what talk did you find that you really got something out of? Well, you know about my ongoing love with Gatsby. I, I, I like the uh, craft commerce paired up with uh, Gatsby. That, it was between that and then the two from uh, ooh, e- Eden Speakerman. Is that mm-hmm. the name of the uh, going through? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Also showing some Gatsby stuff and how they've gotten live preview to work in Gatsby, which was thought to be something that couldn't be done. But they, they've done some pretty cool stuff to go in and get a, a kind of a long running Gatsby development set up and work with the new 3.2 updates. Yeah, there's a lot of nice setup. And this is one of those that I think the true value will come out when the slides are up and people can go and step by step and follow along and try to do it on their own. It, it was a great, yeah, great couple of sessions there around Gatsby. Yeah, I, I think that's worth saying is that these things are all going to be on video pretty soon. Every talk that we saw, especially Andrew's talk, are going to be on video pretty soon. So go check them out. I mean, they're they're really worthwhile. Uh, I, there was some amazing stuff, some some stuff that, you know, is just kind of like boost you morally and then some stuff to really expand your mind as far as... Uh, I love for Chris Coyer's talk. I thought that Chris, talk was out, Yes, out Chris Coyer's talk was fantastic. It was uh, almost embarrassing that it was that good. It was so good. I, I mean, like I don't even want to do much we almost stuff. just went home after that. It was so good. But yeah, I mean, all of these talks uh, are going to be online and, and they are absolutely worth checking out. Every single one of them. Yeah, every talk I saw, I was, I was pretty happy with. So now we have our studio audience wants to uh, chime in and let us know what his favorite talk was. So I would like to introduce, come on over, our studio Austrian. Here we go. <laughs> Hello. So... Um, one of my favorite talks was an absolutely non-technical talk. It was by Sam of Pixel Tonic, mm, and that? that was fantastic. Ah. He called it the Stoic Developer, mm. and he talked about Stoicism, um, which I'm not going to try and explain, but it is a way of living, a way of being. And does it involve drinking beer? It does not involve drinking beer, but it, it might. <laughs> it, it involves quality of life, mm. yeah. And quality of life in all respects. And of course, he focused on this being a developer conference, how you can apply that to your life as a developer. But it it was... So the one thing I said to him afterwards was, I'm so happy that there is space for this type of talk at a developer conference. Because I think that's important. It's not just all about the technology. It's not all about the buzzwords and, you know, the hype. But it's also about, you know, coming back to what's really important. Yeah. Now... I just became unreasonably angry because I saw that I saw his talk on the schedule and I really wanted to go to it. And then I just forgot about it. And I ended up just staying in the the tech track one and I never made it down for it. So, I mean, thank goodness that these are on video. And thank you for mentioning that, Lindsay, because anyone who, uh, you know, they got some FOMO. They First of all, next time you can come. Right. There's nothing preventing you. You can go to Amsterdam next year. Right. And there are lots of things that are legal there that (laughs) might not be legal in your current jurisdiction. Not that I'm condoning these things. Lindsay, not that Lindsay, you're condemning these things. Lindsay looks excited. <laughs> <laughs> but in, in addition to that, even if you if you can't make it and you have some FOMO and you wish you were here for these presentations, well, it's all on video. And I don't know when it's going to be out, but I will go back and update this show and add the links whenever they do end up bringing this stuff out. 
But I, you know, I think that kind of about wraps it up for another episode of the devmo.fm podcast. To have every episode delivered to your favorite podcast player, subscribe to our RSS or subscribe via iTunes or Google Play. And if you like what we're doing, leave us a review. You can also follow us on Twitter at devmo.fm. And we'd love to hear your thoughts on this episode. Leave us a comment on the devmo.fm website. For the devmo.fm podcast, I'm Andrew Welch. I'm Patrick Harrington. I'm Jonathan Melville. I'm Matt Stein. I'm Marian Nulovit. I'm Lindsay DiLoretto. And I'm Ben Croker, a.k.a. Live Audience. <laughs> ben is our token Austrian. Every podcast needs a token Austria. I can't believe we just shared a mic for an hour. Think of all the, uh, the germs that we've shared as well. (laughs) Passing this around.